Jesus, Lord. We have hope because he is here. He is here with us. He just heard that. He just received that worship from us. Welcome to Strong Tower Bible Church this morning. I want to let our church family know that Angel Noble delivered baby Selah this week. They are home doing well. We're going to be delivering some meals to them, so you'll be hearing a little bit more information about that a little bit later. But man, we have an awesome opportunity upon us right now. We have the chance to come together so that the Spirit of God can open up the Word of God and feed His people in a way that only He can do it. You don't need to hear from me this morning. You need to hear from the Lord. You need to hear what He has to say to you in your spirit. The Bible is one story. From beginning to end, it is contending for the truth. That there is a living God who is constantly and persistently coming for us. And this morning, we are not going to look for God. We don't have to do that. God is coming to look for you this morning. And He is going to find us. And He is going to feed us this morning as we open up His Word. You don't need a fork and a knife. You don't need to feed yourself. God is going to feed you this morning. You know what our work is? Our work is to posture ourselves to receive what it is that he wants to say. And to posture ourselves to take in what he wants to do this morning. So I want to set an expectation for you. I believe strongly that anytime the word of God goes out, we need a chance to respond. So at the end of this, the words of man are futile. The words of God live forever. We're going to have an extended time of worship, an extended time of prayer, an extended time. I've been asking God all week not so much to touch my words, but to hover in this place and to do in you, for you, and through you something that only he can do. I understand well my limitations, but I know a living God who is limitless. And I've asked him to come preach to you this morning. Is that okay? So let's posture ourselves to receive y'all. I'm on fire. I'm up here sweating already. I'm so excited. God is better than you think. And you say, Christy, I think he's pretty good. I'm going to contend today for the idea that he's actually better than you think. Bow your heads with me. Holy Spirit, would you break open the very word of life right now? Would you feed us, Lord, in a way that only you can? Would you posture us to receive that which you have for us this morning? Lord, you are good, and what you do is good. Show yourself this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, Strong Tower, you know that we're in the middle of a series right now called the Be Strong series. And man, I'm so excited today because I really feel like I've heard from the Lord, the Devar, the word that I'm giving today. I really believe it's what he has for this house today. So today, with the Spirit's help, we're going to talk about be strong in your healing. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. If you'll open up your Bibles to John chapter 5. I've already said we're going to be staring at Jesus this morning. My goal is singular today. I want to lift up the Son of God. 
for you to behold him again, for you to be reminded and refreshed, nourished, renewed, restored by the simplicity and yet the power of the person and work of Jesus. And as we talk about our healing this morning, as we look at Jesus in the Gospels, notice, normally we notice what he's saying, kind of his teaching, his preaching, his parables. We notice what he's doing, his miracles and the works of his hands. But we're going to notice something this morning. It's not just noticing in the Gospels what Jesus is saying and what he's doing, but it's noticing where he says and does it. Jesus is communicating something not just with the words of his mouth and the works of his hands, but they always say rule number one in real estate is what? Location, location, location. So where Jesus does something is saying something to us. And we're going to see that this morning as we come together. So interestingly enough, in all of Jesus' earthly ministry, and we know that Jesus goes to Jerusalem all the time, at least three times a year. He is a Jewish man, a Jewish rabbi. That means he's going every year for the feast and the festivals in Jerusalem. He's going for Passover. He's going for Pentecost. He's going for Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths in the fall. But in all of Jerusalem, Jesus only performs two miracles. Isn't that interesting? Jerusalem is the center of the world for the Jews. Man, if you want to show up prime time and do something so that everybody sees and hears it, you go do it in Jerusalem. And the Gospel of John tells us that in all of his time in Jerusalem, he only performs two miracles. Somebody say, why? We're going there. We're going there. The two things that Jesus does in Jerusalem... Interestingly enough, both are healings, and both happen on the Sabbath. Both things that he does are healings, and both happen on the Sabbath. Let me show you something. I'm a teacher more than a preacher, so I brought a chart. This is kind of a model of Jerusalem at the time of Jesus. And I want you to notice two things. It's going to kind of help our story this morning. Does everybody see the pool of Bethesda right there? Everybody see that southern pool, the pool of Siloam to the south? Jesus is going to come to Jerusalem, and he is going to perform two miracles at these two pools. If we can put the chart back up. He heals a lame man in John chapter 5, the passage that we're going to be looking at today at the pool of Bethesda. Later in John 9, he comes down and he heals a blind man here in the pool of Siloam. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but the pool of Siloam was about the size of two football fields. See, we talk about, hey, come over and go swimming in my pool in my backyard, but that's not what the Bible is conveying. These pools are massive structures. This is where everybody in Jerusalem comes to hang out. And so Jesus is going to come here, and he is going to perform two miracles both which are healings and both on the Sabbath. So come with me now to John chapter 5 as we enter into our text today. If you're with me so far, say okay. okay. Oh, oh, that was good. John chapter 5 verses 1 through 6. We're about to lift up Jesus so that you can stare at him. How many of you know if you stare at yourself for too long, you'll get depressed? 
But if you stare at Jesus, you'll start to be transformed. He will change you from the inside out. The gospel belongs to God. It's given from his right hand. It is given through his son, Jesus Christ. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. So where is he? He's in Jerusalem. Oh. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five colored colonnades. And here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. And one who was there had been an invalid or lame for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Now we've read this before and it seems like the oddest question in the world. If you have been lame for 38 years, in what possible scenario would you not want to be made well? And yet Jesus asked a kind question. Everybody say kind. Man, when Jesus comes, he comes with kindness. He comes with those velvet paws and he asked the man, do you want to get well? And what we know in first century life in the Middle East, and it's still this way in Jesus' world, in the world of this lame man in Jesus' day in the first century, begging is actually a profession. It is a legal, acceptable profession if you have a physical malady. If you are lame, if you are blind, if you are paralyzed, now look, you can't just show up and say, man, I got a headache today, I don't want to work, so can you give me money? No, but if you are lame, if you are infirmed, then you provide for yourself, you provide for your family by begging. And so this beggar, this lame man who's been an invalid for 38 years, here are some cultural considerations for us. The man probably has no education. He probably has no skill. He probably has no trade. He hasn't been apprenticed in anything because he's lame. He knows what his profession is going to be. I'm going to provide for myself and I'm going to provide for my family through begging. And so when Jesus says, hey man, do you want to get well? Jesus knows and understands that if he heals this man, that man now has a huge responsibility put on him. How's he going to provide for his family the next day? Nobody's going to give him anything before, no education, no trade, no skill. See, man, we often ask God for healing, but we never think about what it'll cost. We don't think about the fact that if God brings that healing that you are praying for, that you are asking for, that you are begging for, then also by the Spirit of God, you have to steward your new wellness. You have to live that out. Man, last week Michael said God can't heal what we conceal. I want to add to that. God can't heal what we insist on using as our excuses. So Jesus says, do you want to get well? Man, we think we need God's strength for our sufferings. No, you need God's strength when he shows up to heal you. You'll need his strength even in that. 
You know, a few years later, I broke my right toe. I mean, you would think such a small part of the body, it wouldn't hurt. Man, it hurt. And I had to wear a boot for a couple of weeks, and I was on crutches. And at the end of it, the doctor was like, Christy, you're okay. We can take the boot off. You can start walking again. But the problem is my toe had not been bent in weeks, and all of a sudden it didn't want to bend. So the doctor was like, oh, good for you. You get to go to physical therapy. Raise your hand if you've had physical therapy. It hurts. And then I showed up for physical therapy and I sat down on the table and every time my physical therapist would come with his hands to put his hands on my toe, I would like cringe. Because man, I knew, I knew that the healing that he was going to bring was going to hurt. And I knew that it was going to come at a cost. And it was over a few weeks that my toe learned to bend again and that I learned how to walk again. Church, sometimes you look up and you see God coming at you and you cringe. And you're not sure if you want him to put his hands on you because you do not know who he is and you do not know what he's like. Man, if you look up and God is coming for you, he is not coming to judge you. He's not coming to blame you. He's not coming to undo you, to tear you, to ruin you. No, if you look up and Jesus is coming at you, he's coming to save you. He's coming to redeem you. He's coming to restore you. He's coming to mend the places that are torn and broken. If you look up and God is coming at you, say, I'm right here, Lord. Put your hands on me. Because you are good and what you do is good. I can trust your hands on me. We've got to learn to be strong in our healing. So moving on, what happens? I love how the man kind of starts talking about, yeah, when the waters are stirred, there's nobody here to help me. And we're not going to focus on him because, by the way, God did not give you the Bible to focus on everybody in it. God gave you the Bible to focus on him in every story. God is the point in every story of Scripture. He is the hero. He is the subject matter. It's all about him. So we're not going to focus on the lame man today. We're going to focus on Jesus in this moment. Amen? So the man is like, yeah, nobody will help me in, but let's take a look at who Jesus is and what he does when he shows up. John chapter 5, verses 8 through 9. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. And the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Man, you want to talk about God's faithfulness? The Bible says that God's faithfulness, it reaches to the skies. Here it is, y'all. This is it. God has earned the right to touch your pain. He has earned the right to come in for you to let him in to those places. We walk around talk about, man, God's never forsaken the righteous. While we're at it, God has never forsaken to get in, to touch you there, to know you there, to do something in those places that only he can do. I love it that the man never said, heal me. The man never asked to be healed. Man, who's coming for who in this story? The lame man is just laying there being lame. And he's laying there being lame, talking about nobody will help me in the water. And the next words out of Jesus' mouth are, get up. Take up your mat and walk. Man, we don't understand that our pain literally provokes God's compassion. Your pain incites 
his desire to come to you. Isaiah chapter 30 verse 18 says, Man, you want to know what God longs for? You know your longings, those things that you are longing for, asking for, begging for, waiting for. You know what the Bible says that God longs for? Isaiah 30, 18 says, The Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. Isaiah 42, 3 says, A bruised reed God will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. How, raise your hand if you've ever been on the edge. You're like, man, I don't know if I'm going to make it. How many of you have ever started crying so deeply and heavily that you thought you would never stop? Man, we all have pain. We all need those places that we need God to come in and touch. Now, if you're with me so far, say okay. Because we're about to go somewhere. As with everything with Jesus, the story is about to actually get better. There is actually more to this story going on than we normally realize. How many of you know when Jesus comes for something, he comes for it at its root? He comes for it at the bottom, at its very genesis, at its very origin, that place from where it all began. God is better than we know. In all of Jerusalem, Jesus only performs two miracles. We put our chart back up here, just a reminder. One at the pool of Bethesda to the north. By the way, what is that really large structure the pool of Bethesda is near? The temple. I heard it. Somebody got it. He heals a blind man down south at the pool of Siloam. What's going on? I want to contend for this idea that if Jesus is only performing two miracles in Jerusalem, he is saying something, and he is saying something loud. So when we look at these two things, what we have to understand is 1,000 years earlier, everybody say 1,000. 1,000 years earlier, David has been anointed the king of Israel. He and his men are in Hebron. And he looks up to Jerusalem and he says, man, I want Jerusalem. I want Jerusalem to be the capital of Israel. So David and his guys march against Jerusalem. But the problem is there are people living in Jerusalem. There's a people group called the Jebusites living and inhabiting Jerusalem. And David and his men go up, and let's take a look at this passage, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. The king and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. And the Jebusites said to David, you will not get in here. Even the blind and the lame can ward you off. For they thought David cannot get in here. Now, I love this. You know, in antiquity, they like to talk trash. You know, they're always just talking junk back and forward. David is a really good one. You remember him in the Valley of Elah with Goliath? He's like, man, who are you, you uncircumcised Philistine? I'm about to beat your behind, and I'm going to chop your head off, and your Philistine mama's ugly. I mean, he's just going for it. He's like giving it to Goliath. He's just letting it go. And so here comes David and the Israelites, and now the Jebusites are talking trash. And notice what they say. Man, David, you and your boys are so weak. Even our lame and blind can keep you out. You're not going to be able to get in here and take Jerusalem. Let's keep reading. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion 
which is the city of David. And on that day, David had said, anyone who conquers the Jebusites will have to use the water shaft to reach those lame and blind who are David's enemies. And that is why they say, this is in the Bible, the blind and lame will never enter the palace. See, after all this stuff went down with the Jebusites, David is now the king of Israel. He has the imperial throne. He has imperial authority. And so on the back end of removing the Jebusites, he starts a tradition, a political, cultural, historical, religious tradition that says, you know what, because of what you said, Jebusites, the lame and the blind will never get into my house. One generation later, Solomon comes along and he's going to build another house. He's going to build God a house. He's going to build the temple. And if you know, we still have this going on today, imperial things that our president set in place, future presidents will hold those traditions. We're getting ready to enter into Thanksgiving week, and at some point this week, President Obama is going to pardon the Thanksgiving turkey. You know that turkey's like, whew. So Solomon follows the tradition that his father David puts in place, but it's no longer that the lame and the blind can't get into the palace. Now the lame and the blind are not allowed in the temple. If you're lame, if you're blind, you don't get in. Sort of following tradition, following the history. So 1,000 years later, everybody say 1,000. How many of you know when Jesus comes for something, he comes at the root? 1,000 years later, Jesus comes to Jerusalem. And he is entering into a city with a 1,000-year history, a 1,000-year tradition, a 1,000-year imperial tradition that says that the lame and the blind cannot get in. Now, if you want to fire Jesus up, start telling people they can't get in. Because he came to seek and save the lost. He came to find us, the Bible says in Luke 15, to joyfully put us on his shoulders and to carry us home. Jesus shows up in a Jerusalem where the lame and the blind are particularly marginalized. Where they are particularly outcast, they are separate from, they are other than, they are looked down on twice, three times, four times. This is the culture that he comes into. And you want to know who Jesus is and what he's like. Man, Jesus rolls up in Jerusalem and he goes, um, okay, David did this thing a thousand years ago. I'm going to go find a lame man and a blind man and I'm going to heal them both so that they can get into the temple and I'm about to reverse the curse that's a thousand years old. This is who Jesus is, and this is what he does. If you look up and you see him coming for you, let him put his hands on you. God has not only earned the right to touch your pain, but he's earned the right to touch your thousand-year pain. He's earned the right to touch that thing that lives at your root, that deepest hurt, that deepest thing in you that's there. You know, he's coming into a culture with the lime and the blind. I love this quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. 
he once said, we must learn to judge people less in light of what they have done and more in light of what they have suffered. I think that's how Jesus sees us. He sees all that we've suffered. And he's coming to bring his healing. You know, for me, my thousand-year pain, for those of you that know my story, when I was 21, my father died. And it devastated me. Totally wrecked me. I had a good father, first 21 years of my life. I come home from college, I'm a senior, my parents tell me that my dad has cancer. A few weeks later, he's gone. And it wrecked me. It fractured me at my center. And for 10 years, I just tried to live with it. Put one foot in front of the other, kind of go. I had never really let God come in and touch that place in my life. And about 10 years later, man, God came from my ancient hurt. He's like, you know what, Christy, I'm just not going to let it work for you anymore. I need to put my hands on you in that place. God started healing me and dealing with me. And y'all, during that season, I was going to counseling. I remember driving to my first session, bawling my face off. You know you're bad when you're crying before you even get in your session. I mean, nobody's even said anything to me yet. And I'm a mess. And y'all, I was afraid. It's like, Chrissy, why were you crying? I was like, Lord, if I open this up, I might never be okay again. Can you really get down in that? And during that season, my mother gave me the greatest gift she's ever given me. She gave me a cassette of me and my father. And it's audio recordings when I'm five, when I'm six, of us singing together and reading together and she gave it to me and man I couldn't listen to it I was like man how do I listen to the voice of the dead how do I listen to the voice of the most influential person in my story that I've lost he's never gonna be here to walk me down the aisle if I have children he'll never know them my father always wanted to go to Israel. He died before he ever got there. Every time I touch down in Zion, I think of my father. I'm like, Dad, I got here yet again. And one day I was walking. And man, I'm talking to God about this tape because I'm just like, man, you know, I don't know if I can listen to this. I don't know if I can take it in. And clear as a bell, I heard the Lord say to me, Christy, you can listen to that tape. It is not the voice of the dead. Have you forgotten who I am? It's the voice of the living. Your father knew me and is with me. And you can listen to that tape and it's all that you've lost. But you, oh God. The Lord said to me, you will sing that song with him again to me one day. And I finally started to trust God enough to touch me in that place. Me and my father used to always sing Amazing Grace together. It's kind of our hymn. And I've never done this before, but you are my church family. And today I want to play an audio recording of me and my dad singing Amazing Grace when I'm five years old. 
Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was was lost, but now I am found. Was blind, but now I see. See. When we've been, been there ten thousand years, bright shining the sun, we're no less to see His face. God's praise, God's praise, than when we see first. When we Matt, I can listen to that now because I'm going to sing that again with my father one day. This is who God is. And this is what he's like. He's not only coming for your pain, he's coming for your thousand year pain. Let me ask you something. In Jerusalem, it's been a thousand years since the lame and the blind could get into the temple. When Jesus heals this lame man, you tell me, where do you think is the first place he goes? To the temple. In John chapter 5, verse 14, it simply says, later, Jesus found him at the temple. God has come. He has taken on flesh and made his dwelling among us so that through faith in him we can get in. Nobody gets to tell you you can't get in when Jesus says that you can. You know, Strong Tower, I have to ask a question. As the worship team comes up, do you want to get well? What's it going to cost you? What's it going to require of you? The healing that God brings is the healing that he will help you take in and to receive. I remember a few years back, a friend of mine was having a, an important birthday coming up, and she wanted to go skydiving for her birthday, and she wanted somebody to go with her, so you know me. I'm like, I'll go with you. So we go skydiving, and man, we're in the plane, and all of a sudden, I'm getting nervous. I'm like, oh, man. And I'm looking over at her, and I'm thinking, you know what? If she punks out, then I can punk out. But if she falls out of this airplane, I got to go. And to make matters worse, the guy that I was jumping with, they call it Tandem, his name was Cletus. <laughs> now you better know God and be a Christian if you're going to jump out of an airplane three miles up with a dude named Cletus. <laughs> and we got up and the little red light turned to green and it was time to jump. And my friend, she gets up and walks over and she falls out of the airplane. And I'm like, okay, now I've got to jump. So Cletus is like, it's your turn. So he's strapping everything on. And if you've ever been skydiving, we get to the very edge of the plane. Literally, my feet are hanging out. And I'm holding on to the side. We're three miles up. I'm looking down. And I hear Cletus say this to me. He says, now when we jump, you won't see me. But you will hear me 
and you will feel me. And I'm going to take you all the way to the end. I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know what your hurt is. I don't know what your thousand year hurt is. But I've asked God to come into this house this morning. And I believe that is what he's saying to us. Man, when you jump, when you let me put my hands on you in that place, you might not see me, but you will hear me and you will feel me. And I'm going to take you all the way to the end. This is who God is. This is what he's like. He has earned the right to touch your pain. He's earned the right to touch your thousand-year pain. We're going to end today with an extended time of worship and prayer. I want to open the altar. There's nothing magical about an altar. There's nothing magical, but sometimes you need to get up and respond. If you need to come down and deal with God, pray for your own healing. Talk to God. Let Him simmer. Let Him speak to you now. Let him hover. Maybe you need to come and pray for someone else's healing that you know of. You know that God needs to touch them not only in their pain, but in that thousand year pain. You can pray at your chair or you can come down, but this is your time. This is your time for the Lord to speak to you, to minister to you to heal you, to be with you, to say to you what only he knows that he wants to say to you. Strong Tower, my family, my church family, be strong in your healing. God will do it. He will do it in you. He'll do it through you. He'll do it for you.